The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Who here has seen the movie American Beauty? Okay, a few of us. Uh, I don't know if I would recommend you see it, um, to be honest. Um, came out a number of years ago. And uh, you can look at the trailer, that's, uh, that's harsh enough. Uh, there, it, it had great acclaim, um, lots of buzz about it. Um, some people got really irate about it and because it's pretty racy. And um, there's something about it, though, that is, it is a movie that is disturbing. Don't watch this on a first date, all right? <laughs> I may, it's like up there with, I went and saw a Dracula movie for a first date. It was dumb, right? You don't want to see this on a first date. You're, gonna, you're just going to be depressed and think, where is this going? Um, but um, in the midst of this, it, sometimes brutal, sometimes um, it can feel, it, it feels brutal on a number of, of levels, uh, sexually, um, uh, even in regards to, to sort of violence and in, to, to disappointment. It drives at something that I think many of us have uh, felt perhaps. As those who have grown up in this, uh, in America, in this, this society that on one hand has achieved a tremendous amount. That, uh, other nations, I, I listened on the radio and they're talking about, um, uh, what it was like for people behind the Iron Curtain back in the 80s to watch Dallas, which is just, it was like Texas, you know, bling to the extreme. You know, and you have these people who are living in total poverty behind the Iron Curtain and thinking, that is capitalism. You know, that's what I want. It, so there's a sense where everything looks well. And that's really what the movie is, the sense of it. It explores this, this life that on the outside looks successful. That, that it's about, you know, cutting the perfect flowers in your perfect suburban home, in your big home with a job. And, and yet slowly as things go along, um, uh, you look closer. It's the tagline. Look a little closer, and you look a little closer at work, look a little closer at family, look a, a little closer, and pretty soon things start to unwind. Things start to uh, unwind in a scary way that you begin to see that, that below the veneer of success is desperation. Below the veneer of, uh, of success is isolation and loneliness. Look a little closer, for all is not what it seems. In fact, the dream, perhaps, that many have bought into, the dream that is piped overseas, the dream that perhaps helped to bring down communism, um, might be a nightmare. Well, as we think about, you know, as many of us, as we kind of look sometimes at the church and, and Christianity in general, there are more and more folks who, more and more people who look at it and say, I'm not sure that I want any. Um, those of us who have grown up in the church sometimes look at the church and faith and can feel like, you know, it sounds so good. It sounds so good. But when you look a little closer, um, it's not all that it is. That, that there is sometimes below the, 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 the promises, that below the, that below the great words is a, a quiet desperation that somehow... It isn't about the flourishing of life, but is about um, stamping out 
life. It's about uh, our souls being domesticated. And if maybe this at first, I can understand this. You know, I don't, critiques on the church, you got to know, I might be a pastor, I might sit up here, I might have a Bible, my stool, I feel very cool. I get that church sometimes sucks. Some of my own story is having to overcome um, a lot of feelings around and frustration um, around the church. I, I get it. And I get it because, because um, sometimes we, we look and we go, what is sold isn't what you actually get. And it just doesn't work. On the other hand, you know, some of us might go, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't honor human experience. Not only does it, does it work, but it just doesn't seem to honor human experience. Life is just messier than Christians like to allow it to be. The, hard, the difficult thing is that this passage that is a famous, famous passage, probably one of the most famous passages of Jesus, called the Sermon on the Mount, is, is a sermon that addresses all of this directly. Um, it takes it head on. It gives answers for the questions that we're asking. And yet, over the years, the church has, has had an interesting relationship uh, with this sermon. It, it's, it's interpreted it in, an, in a number of ways, and most of those have been kind of to dodge it a little bit. Because we don't really know what to do with it. It's kind of like American Beauty. It, you know, it, it, it sounds good, and really, it sounds really profound. We like to read it, or, and yet it's pretty brutal at times. And honestly, it's a little scary to watch. Um, so the church has said, well, what do we do with this? And, the, and uh, Dale Bruner, who uh, wrote a brilliant commentary on this, um, that if you ever want to follow up, I, I'm going to give you actually throughout this whole thing, uh, I want to give you a number of resources if you want to follow up, but Bruner's commentary on Matthew is brilliant on this. It has the very best scholarship and it's approachable um, for anybody. Well, he says, he says he, here's, as I kind of look through, let me, let me condense sort of how the church has, has um, approached this. And the first is this, that, that, you know, for a while it was like, this is for just a few. This is how you interpret it. This, it's not for everybody. It's just for a few. The super religious, the priests, the monks, the nuns, the rest of you slobs don't even try. All right. We got it. If, you know, basically, you know, we gave up sex, so we might as well have this, right? So we, it's just for the uh, elect few, okay? Then we kind of continue on, and, and we kind of see an, a, sort of an, another uh, dodge. And, and it comes out of the sense of it's just to convict. That you look at the sermon, and maybe um, for those of you who have looked at it before, you look at it and you go, it just looks absolutely impossible. And it, you kind of end up trying to avoid it. If you read through the Gospels, you kind of go, sermon on the mount. Flip, 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 flip. Oh, Lord's Prayer, like that. Oh, you say, you say the Lord's Prayer, flip, 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 and then you get on past it. I mean, that, and honestly, that was for me. I looked at it, and I, I didn't like it. I didn't like what was being said, and it felt impossible. So maybe it's just to convict, just so that you know that you suck and you need grace. Okay, that's its role. A twist on that. Maybe it's for not just yet. So... See, God's got this whole timing thing, and He's sort of doing stuff. And what Jesus is saying is, this is the way, this is kind of ethic, this is, this is the way it's going to look um, uh, later when Jesus fully comes back. Um, so you can try it now, you'll fail. You can try it now, but it's, you really shouldn't even bother trying. Kind of an, uh, the next sort of attempt on this was, you know what, we've 
and this kind of came out of a scholarly place. You know, we've done the research, and what you don't understand is that Jesus is talking about the future, and he's got this, he, they start throwing around words like eschatology, he's got this eschatology, then um, blah, 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 blah. It's for another time. Don't even try it. Or maybe, a, you know, a, another version of this was, well, here's, it, it's, it's free, you know, just believe it in your heart. Don't actually do it. It's kind of an attitude of the heart, right? All these sorts of dodges, which is, which is weird. And I was, I dodged it for a long time, but I've fallen in love with it. And part of it for me that I began to fall in love with this and begin to find this not a place of desperation, but of hope is that when you look at the end of the sermon, what's the response of the crowd? First of all, Jesus is not talking uh, to religious professionals. He's talking to the dregs. He's talking to every, you know, everyday Joe. And at the end of this, people might have said, yeah, that sounds hard. But they didn't say it sounded crazy. That the crowds, when they heard this, they said, that has authority. Whatever that guy's saying, he's speaking it with authority. He's not crazy talking. He actually has some kind of authority that the teachers of the law don't have. That there is some that this word, what this word authority. Here's where a little Greek might help. Is this word that it's it's a it's a conjunction of uh, ex ousia, and ex means out of, and ousia is the verb to be. In other words, it comes out of life. What is true? What is real? There's a sense that when they heard this, they were like hard. I'm sure they said hard. I'm sure they said challenging. But they also said, that just, that makes sense, actually. Well, what's going on with this? Well, before we launch into this series, and we're going to, called Consume, we're going to spend a number of weeks, uh, and we're going to have a number of speakers come and share that I'm really excited about. But I think we need to take head on why we want to dodge this. And what I want to give you is just a couple of things tonight, a couple of uh, perhaps frameworks that will help us not run from this or not feel uh, burdened by this. And there are these things that you have to know the heart of the matter and you have to know the way. And if you keep these in front, I think what it can do is it's not, I, I'm not saying it's not going to be challenging. I'm not saying it's not going to at times be difficult. But what this is is that this can be a gateway to open up to something that God wants to do in and through you that you can't even imagine. All right? So first of all, as we lean into this, first point, you've got to know the heart. And, you, and when you begin to under know, understand the heart behind the sermon, I think what happens is it, it's, it goes beyond feeling um, like just a, a legalism that crushes. Because what you hear is Jesus sort of saying, here's a bunch of difficult sort of rules, regulations, laws. And then I'm going to amp it up even more. And oftentimes what people read is they can get through probably the first one, but then they eventually start going, that's just impossible. That's not even, that doesn't even make sense. It, it does if you begin to know the heart. And two scriptures will help us with that. First is 520. 520, Jesus begins uh, talking. He, he does the Beatitudes. And we're going we're gonna to need the Beatitudes. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Then he, began, he talks about salt and light. I want you to be salt and light. Okay? It's been a whole sermon just on salt and light. Huge, huge. If we're going to have influence, and in, he's talking about you who just feel like everyday Joes. You don't feel like anything special. You are going to have incredible influence in the world. You. People go, I don't get it. People probably hear Jesus teaching and they begin to think, yeah, they, 
He's going to wipe out the law. This is going to be awesome. Here's a new guy coming in. I'm going to follow this guy. And, and Jesus kind of, he pulls back. He surprises him, I think, a little bit. And he says, hey, 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 listen, I'm not, I'm not actually advocating that you get rid of any part of the law. You can't throw out the law. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not letting you off the hook that way. You probably think that's what I'm about. You probably have a sense that what I'm, what I'm about is just, I'm going to oh, get rid of all the law and I'm going to talk about something else. That's not true. The law is going to stay. I'm not calling you away from the law at all. In fact, I'm, I'm calling you into, into actually fulfilling the law. So he goes on and he says this, look, I'm going to tell, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees were those who were dedicated. They longed to see um, something of the power and the presence of God restored into Israel that had just been wiped out again and again and again. They had been run over. They had been um, pushed down. They thought, if we hold on to the law, part of this is because we disobey. Part, if we hold on to the law, maybe God will begin to, to do something new uh, amongst us. They have the right heart. But man, they took it seriously. And, and they filled their day with trying to figure out how, how to fulfill the law. He says, look, if you don't have a righteousness, and a righteousness is a big word, but it, you could think about it as character, um, kind of a character or life or um, uh, goodness. Really, it's about right relationship in all spheres of your life. If you have a, a right relationship in all spheres of your life that doesn't go beyond that doesn't go beyond the teachers, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to experience what I'm talking about. And crowds are coming from all points on the globe. It's chapter four. They begin to hear about Jesus, and people are coming from all points on the globe to hear about him. He said. Kingdom of God is at hand. And they're thinking, finally, Rome's going to get kicked out. And he goes, hey, you know what? You're not going to know anything of the kingdom unless you have a righteousness that goes beyond the Pharisees. Ah, confusing. What is he talking about? Well, I need some helpers. I need six people. Six volunteers. One, two, three, four. Come on. Five and six. Come on up. Come on. Give these guys a hand. Hey. Um, this is going to be, it's going to be a little get to know you. This is an opportunity for everybody to get to know, um, every, so I'm going to ask you your name and I'm just going to ask you to hold the sign and then flip it, you know, in, in a little bit. All right. So name, Matt, Matt, say everybody. Hi, Matt. Hi, Hi Matt. Shannon. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Carly. Hi, Carly. Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Kari. Hi, Kari. Aaron. Hi, Aaron. All right. Everybody knows, even if you're not in the church, you begin to know what is a righteousness or a faith or a, a, a re, kind of a religious perspective. You don't have to know. You know these things and um, you know, kind of what they are. And Jesus is going to talk about them. So first of all, you know, here we go. Right. You don't murder. It's not cool. OK. OK. That's a basic one. Um, you don't commit adultery. Christians are kind of against sleeping around, right? We, we know that. Okay, that's one you could keep. You're not supposed to lie. Don't lie. Okay. You know, we got religious things we do. We, we, we're supposed to pray, give, fast. She's religious. She gets it. Okay. You, you, you kind of go on. Um, oh, yeah. We're supposed to trust in God whatever that means, okay? Um, and then you kind of, an extension on that is, you know, what we like to say is, if you trust in Jesus, everything works out, right? 
That's what Christians, we have a sense, this is what people who are righteous do. And for some of us, we just look at that, and, and, and this, is a, this is really small kind of list of rules compared to what the Pharisees were doing. But it's kind of basic. It kind of, kind of jives with what we may or may not know about the Ten Commandments, right? We know that generally it's not cool to murder, right? We, we kind of we get it. Sometimes we kind of go, we can do, like a lot of, a lot, most of us, I'm guessing in here, hang with this one, right? <laughs> um, if you don't, don't be mad at what I'm saying, don't, okay? So... <laughs> We can hang with this one, but then we go on, and then you start going, okay, this gets, after a while, you get, this gets a little bit more, okay, uh, that's a lot of stuff to remember. For some of us, we just feel like, uh, that's a lot to do. Look, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let the pastor do that, I'm gonna let elders do that, um, that kind of stuff. They can, you know, just kinda, uh, it's too much, it's too much. Some of us, too, who have been in the church or outside the church, Either we've heard, um, we've seen reports, and, and if we were to take a closer look, we also go, it's a lot, but I'm not totally sure it works. Because what we do is we look closer, and here's this nice guy, very nice, I like you, by the way, oh, nice scarf. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't murder, but, but, but let's look a little closer. Can we flip that over for us? Oh, he spends his day thinking about how stupid I am. I don't feel very Christian, all right? Okay, make a big deal. Shannon does not sleep around. Just so you know, everybody, she is not a hussy, all right? She doesn't commit adultery, but she's addicted to fantasies of some kind and profoundly lonely, okay? There's no semblance connection with these, all right? All right, all right here we go. You know, I don't lie. I don't, I don't lie with you tell I, you know, I swear, but... I had my fingers crossed, sucker. You didn't read the fine print, right? Oh, yeah, so we don't lie, but there's a sense of, can I really trust? I don't really know what's there. Okay, pray, give, fast. Super religious. Super. As long as you notice how great I am. You ever been around that? It doesn't take someone who's inside the church to know when you start going, yeah, that looks really good, but that's about you. There's no authenticity to it. Okay, I trust in God. After money, of course. Right? Yeah, Jesus, I follow Jesus as long as my bank account is huge. Right? And some of us look at the church and you start to go, "What's? I don't really know this whole trust in God thing makes sense. This is just some of them. Or I trust in Jesus and everything will be great. Except, maybe for you, that's what I'll tell you, but I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> right? Alright, give these guys a hand. Oh, and it's Aaron's birthday. Holy smokes. Come on. All right. Thanks, you guys. So there's this, there's this sense that we, we hear it, but we also wonder, behind the scenes, it, there's got, there has to be a sense that there's more. That, that when we look behind the scenes, it's not as pretty as perhaps um, it might appear on the surface. Some of you have gotten the impression, um, rightly or wrongly, that the church is interested in what you look like on the outside, that you don't murder, but, but perhaps isn't as concerned with the fact uh, that um, the person that is touting that they're really religious um, is, is one of the meanest persons, people you know. That they're so angry, that they seem so consumed with bitterness that you go, I don't know if that's really the life of God. I don't think um, I need that. 
Whatever it is, you look and you go, yeah, fine. You can tout all day long that you're righteous, and, and yet it just doesn't seem authentic. We need the second piece. What Jesus is saying is, if you, if you have a problem with what you look out and you say, there's got to be more than just what it looks like on the outside. It's got to be more than you just don't murder. There's got to be something more. Jesus would say there is. The righteousness that I'm talking about, the character that I'm talking about, goes way beyond simply saying, I can check off the box and everyone can look at me and give me a thumbs up. He goes, I really could care less about that. You will never enter into what I have for you unless your righteousness goes beyond the scribes and the Pharisees. Because here's the deal, and this is the second passage that sometimes can be confusing. He, at the end of chapter 5, he says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word perfect for us is hard. And a lot of times, more and more, we, we feel like, you know what? I don't need to check off a bunch of things on a list. I don't, I don't want to be perfect. I want to be authentic. I want to feel it, right? right? Nobody wants to be perfect anymore because there's sort of this rejection of perfect. Authentic means messy. And so when we, when we see that, a lot of times we think there's a kind of a perfection is about never doing anything wrong. And for most of us, you know, our experience is you could fake it, but... That's just not true to real life. We can't be perfect. And so for Jesus to say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, yeah, I'm human, Jesus. Come on. What he's longing for us, and this is where we got to hear the heart, is that we would have a righteousness that goes beyond externals but has no inward transformation, no inward power in our life. This word perfect is this, tel- is this word teleos that I've mentioned here before. I want to highlight again. Really, maybe the better way uh, to translate that is complete, whole, mature. You hold up a pine cone, that's not complete, whole, mature. It's not perfect. It's not meant to be a pine cone. It's meant to be a huge, huge pine tree. You are not meant to be childish. You're not meant... uh, My kids are cute. Okay, Caleb is cute. Noah is cute. Five and six. I love them. They're perfect just the way they are. But if they still act the way that they did even this week when they're 40, it's tragic. <laughs> so one of the shocks maybe for some of us as we go out is we think that we're entering the adult world. We think that we're entering a world full of mature adults. And what we realize is that the people who are supposed to be adults actually look like kids. They just have a lot of money. Fair? That sometimes when we look at ourselves even, we go, I thought I, there would be kind of a, a more of a strength or maturity to me, and yet I, I can look big, like a big person, but I don't necessarily know that I feel uh, like adult. What God, the heart behind this, for Jesus to say, you are designed to be whole and complete, to have a character that is like your heavenly Father. That is what you're designed for. That, that is what you long for. That's what you ache for. So as we go, uh, as you go along, we, we need to hold on to that because sometimes what we do is we, we get ourselves in trouble because we, we begin to think it's about perfection. And so when we fail, we go, oh, forget it. God hates me. And he's like, no, 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 no. I don't expect you to be perfect. I just want you to continue to grow. And sometimes that is going to be difficult. Sometimes perhaps what we feel is that we, we resist some of this stuff because we feel like we're going to lose our identity, that, that um, somehow we're going to get our uniqueness is going to be wiped out. When we think about this, 
your uniqueness isn't going to be wiped out if you're more faithful, if you're trustworthy, um, if you're not consumed by anger and hate. Whose identity is going to get wiped out in that? Maybe some of you. That's an identity you need to drop because some of your identity is lodged in the fact that you're angry and you're hurt and you're just going to sit in that for the rest of your freaking life. And you know what's happening? You're being consumed from the inside out. This whole series is called Consumed and it's, it's fairly negative, I know. But the problem is sometimes what we do is we think we can just go consume sort of religious products and all the time it doesn't get to the very heart of the matter. When God is saying, He's pleading with you, you can see this in, in, in the words of Paul, like in, with, with the Corinthian church that we even talked about last week, when he goes, I am, I am begging you, be reconciled to God. I am begging you, I am pleading with you, let go of some of the things you're holding on to. I am begging you, grow into maturity. That's what you're designed for, but I can't make you. So if we understand the heart, you've got to understand the way. The way, we all have to do something. There's always something that uh, we can do. You know, we're not forced. Somehow God uh, leaves room for our own um, free will. I don't know why. Um, we all want to know what to grow. I mean, the question I hear uh, often, again and again and again, is tell me what to do. And, and I get it. It's a good question. We need to know what to do because there is something that we choose to do in the midst of this. The problem is most of you don't want to do it. And I know that because often I don't want to do it. The problem is you would love for me to give you a list of rules. You would love for me to tell you which community is the best. You would love for me um, um, to give you a program. You would love to work your tail off. You would rather sit in despair than do the thing that you're asked to do. At the end of the sermon, Jesus looks, he gives us uh, three images. And the first is this. Some of you will know them, and I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to breeze over them. So I want you to, I encourage you to go back and look at these. The first is, is the narrow gate. Some of you have heard this. You've got to enter the narrow gate. Here's the way. It's narrow. It's not broad. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's narrow. There's only one way. Second is, the second is this. this. And some of us get that. We go, okay. Christians are all about Jesus, and, and they go on and on about Jesus. Okay, we get the narrow way, okay? You can't, you can't just kind of pick and choose and put stuff together. You could try to pick and choose and put stuff together. I just don't think it's going to do much for you. Okay, it might make you feel good. I don't know that it's going to actually do much for you. Okay, the narrow way. The second is this, is that, and this gets, this gets kind of close. He starts talking about fruit, and he starts warning you, um, people about false prophets and teachers, and what... You get nervous because part of this, um, he begins to talk about people who say, Lord, Lord, and did, and did miracles in your name. And it's, this is really frightening, honestly. I sat with this last night and I almost thought, should I bring this up? I don't have a lot of time to unpack it. The frightening thing is that you get people who say Jesus' name and at the end Jesus goes, I don't know who you are. I did miracles in your name. Lord, Lord, I said your name twice, Lord, two times, right? Jesus goes, I don't, who, I don't, know, who, I don't know who you are. And I think what this is, this is, this is like the way, what we need to hear about, the way is not spectacular. What I'm not calling you to is to impress me. 
to do miracles, to, to tell prophecies, to, to do grand things, to know all the right answers. I hope you do big things. I've called you to do big things. Don't come to me and tell me all the big things you did for me because that is not what I care about. Don't try to impress me. That just goes back to the garden where you think what I care about is somehow that you've got to prove your worth to me. You can never prove your worth to me. Even if you do so under the guise of Christianity or faith or church or anything else. The third is this. Some of you who have been in Sunday school would have heard this. And it's the two houses. He says, therefore, if anyone who hears these words, and that's the sermon we're going to talk about, and puts them into practice, it's like a wise man who's built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. Then he goes on to say, uh, he talks about the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, his house, what he spent all his time building, was washed away. Here's what we're called to. We're called to this simply. To say, I'm going to choose the way of trust. And when you choose the way of trust, when you choose the way of open hands, it's difficult. It's hard. um, And it's scary. Jesus knew this. He knew, he knew that we have a scorecard that keeps us from the very best in our lives. That's why he began with the Beatitudes. It's why he, so often we think, if I'm on the right road, if I'm going the right way, then I'm going to feel rich and powerful. And that's why he's slamming teachers who, who will get up and tell you that it is all about success and power and never having anything go wrong. It, BS. You know it and I know it. Yet we hear it. Yet we believe it. Yet we, 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 want, we want to kind of go that way. doesn't mean that everything is difficult. doesn't mean that all of our life is always about mourning. But that's not always the way of growth. And so Jesus, he begins his Beatitudes, and they sound weird because he goes, Blessed, or on the right road, are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're on the right road when you look at your life and, the, and those around you and it breaks your heart because you're so far from who you know God has called you to be and who your friends have been called to be. You think, gosh, this isn't, a, this isn't the right place. He just goes, that's exactly the right place because you're beginning to get it. What I'm calling you to is something so big that you will feel powerless in the midst of this. You're an integral part, but you cannot do it on your own. There's a, um, there, there's a, some of you, uh, challenge courses, anybody? You know those up in trees, ropes, you go with your corporate team, whatever. Okay, I want a challenge course. One of those is that you climb up a pole, okay? It's like this. We'll see if this snaps on me. This will be awesome if it did, right? But you basically <laughs> climb up, okay? Uh, yes. No, I'm just going. Okay, spot. Okay, you're up on this. And, and one of those, you're, but you're 40 feet up, okay? And it's actually smaller than this. And you're roped in, so it's cool. Okay, but it's still, you still feel nervous. And at one point, what you have to do is you have to jump. And you've got to grab onto that trapeze. Okay, you can't really go down. I guess you could. You don't want to stay here because you're actually swinging in the breeze. Okay? Really uncomfortable. This place sucks right here. Okay? You don't want to be here very long. But you've got to jump. Until you jump, 
you're never going to move forward. It's like you stand on the edge of something huge if you're a skier and your blood is, your, your pulse is racing, your adrenaline is going, and yet you just have to, to dip over the edge. And yet, honestly, you're freaked out. And if you're smart, you're freaked out because you get the danger that's in front of you. And yet when you do so, suddenly you begin to experience something that is brand new in which you realize I don't have to fear the thing that I used to think was frightening. And you begin to experience something of life that goes way beyond the mundane, in and out grind that is so often our life. You begin to experience who you're created to be. That's what we have to do. We have to jump. And that is the invitation this whole time to realize that you have to jump. You have to risk. That's why things like mission trips are huge or anything else. Just not because they in and of themselves are the, are the end goal, but because it's about taking a risk, one little risk at a time. That's the only way you grow. It's the place where we begin to fully um, live. So here's my invitation to you. Um, read through the Sermon on the Mount. And as you do, I encourage you, you could sit in the prayer of the Lord's Prayer. It's about halfway through. And as you do, pray this. Lord, what is the righteousness beyond what I have now that you want for me? What is it that you want that's beyond me? I need to hear your heart. Where do you want me to risk? Where do you want my adrenaline going? Where do you want me scared in the right kind of way? Where do you want me to come into a place where I have to, to risk and perhaps look into a place that I would rather not, but that you're saying I want you to be free? Second, um, uh, second thing uh, is this, is to sit in the Beatitudes and let the Beatitudes be your guide because when you begin to think that I'm going the wrong direction, sit in the Beatitudes and perhaps let a Beatitude for you uh, uh, Help you to, to calm your nerves when you feel like you want to bail and you feel like this is the wrong way, or this sucks, and I've got to get out of here. And Reading the Beatitudes and say, what's the Beatitude that today I identify with? Today I'm mourning. Okay, I can't, don't run from that immediately. Today I, I, I want to lash out. I want to be violent. Today I hunger and thirst and I am faced with the... the the immensity of my own sin and those around me. Sit in that and go, Jesus says it's the right way, so I'm going to sit in it. Let that be your, your guide. And the last thing is this, that some of you have taken jumps. Some of you have moved beyond your own control. And I encourage you on Facebook or on the blog, would you just tell your story about that? Because the rest of us need to hear it. The rest of us need to know that if I take that, that jump, that perhaps there's a good chance that I'm not going to die that it's not going to be everything uh, that I fear it is. We need to hear those stories. That's partly what worship is about, but that's partly why we need community. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and then we'll continue. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you have invited us into something that is way beyond us, that, that your heart for us really resonates with our own heart. You want authenticity. You want strength. You want life. Lord, you want us to have a foundation that withstands storms. You want us to be the kind of people who persevere when everybody else walks away. 
Lord, we got to know your mercy. Lord, if we risk, we got to know that you're going to catch us. Lord, give us grace and give us courage. We pray in your name. Amen.